If you have your Bible, would you please open to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Hopefully, if you didn't bring a Bible, you could look at someone else's or pull it up on your device. But we want to be people who are frequently looking at our Bibles. Uh, And partly, the reason why we care so much about preaching from the Bible is because we want to communicate that uh, we're not just making these things up. We want you to be convinced that what we teach is clearly from God's Word, and we want you to know that the only real confidence you should have in truth comes from this book, which is why we make our ambition to preach through portion by portion, section by section of God's word, what some may refer to as expository preaching. Um, before I begin, let me read the passage that we're considering this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 14. That's the big four, the small 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and my faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant and as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills. And I will find out, not of the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What? What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with a love and a spirit of gentleness? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Again, we just want to come before you with thankful hearts that we have this time to consider your word. Lord, we pray that through the working of your spirit, that this word would penetrate our hearts, that we would be convicted of any sin, that we would be encouraged of any truth. And Lord, ultimately, may the fruit of this labor be of greater love and esteem and glory for the Lord Jesus, our King, in whose name we pray. Amen. Last week in our study... We noted that Paul is trying to set an example for the Corinthian believers. We're ending the major argument that Paul has in 1 Corinthians 4. Beginning in chapter 1, verse 10, Paul has been on this large theological argument of comparing and contrasting the the wisdom of the cross to the wisdom of the world. And, and Paul is trying to, as he kind of ends these, this, this big formal discussion on unity before next week we'll see he starts attacking issue after issue, he's, he's really trying to give an appeal. He's trying to give an urge. Corinthians, you need to be more influenced like me and the apostles. And the reason why Paul can say that is because he, as an apostle, has oriented his life around the cross. In essence, what what Paul is saying is you Corinthians are far too influenced by the world and not nearly enough influenced by the gospel. The Corinthians, 
Even though it's an ancient city with a lot of different varieties, and you know, I could read lists on and on about their cultural significances and how they're all about status and power, but in many ways, here's what I'd say, Corinth is a lot like the good old United States of America. A lot of the same values that these Corinthian believers were tempted to be influenced by are the same influences that me and you have. Yet at the same time, I think there are differences. When we consider the influencers of our generation, of, of, of the West, we are being told more and more that those who have moral sway, who are the majority, or in some cases the minority, that there is actually no absolute truth, and therefore it's encouraged that you should curate your own reality. More and more, we are encouraged to define people around the values of consumerism and psychology, where consumerism says, you are what you have, and psychology oftentimes will say, I am what I desire. The world influencers, whether from TikTok, Instagram, Fox, MSN, tell us that if anything makes us uncomfortable, it's probably not true. That really the only thing that matters is what you want to do. Now, all this is best described and summarized in, in the, the, the great motion picture movie Moana. Moana, great music. I actually really enjoy it. I think The Rock is like the character of like the demigod in the, in the movie. But really, it's about this story of a girl, young, you know, protagonist, who hears this voice and who's on this quest and this mission to save her people. And I'm not trying to disparage the movie completely, but more or less, here's the moral of the story. You need to ignore and reject even your parents and the status quo and what everyone is telling you to do and listen to the voice that's telling you to go and pursue what, is, what you think is right. And at the end of the movie, it all works out and it's all good. Now, you might think that I'm exegeting a movie far too unfairly. I don't know. Feel free. But more or less, that, that is a good summary of what the influencers in our day and age tell us. You need to curate what is good for you. You get to define your own reality. And if there's anyone who stands in the way of you getting to your personal happiness, whether it be your parents or leaders or your friends, you need to discard them and pursue your truth. That in many ways is the influence that we see all around us. It's the air we breathe. It's in Disney movies. It's in the content that we interact with. It's in the news that we watch. It's what sometimes people refer to as expressive individualism or therapeutic individualism. And friends, it's not new. It's the lie that the serpent gave Adam and Eve in the garden that you don't need to trust this big guy in the clouds. He's holding out on you. Learn to define right and wrong in your own eyes. Get rid of the restraints of God's law and you'll be happy. And so we live in a world, whether you recognize it or not, in which we are constantly being influenced. We're not neutral. And many times it's subtle. And Paul, in essence, is looking at this Corinthian church and he's seeing just how impressionable they are. 
Which is why last week he, he compares and contrasts his life to their life. They want to be like the Corinthians, all about comfort, all about status, all about trying to go up the social hierarchy. And so it is with us now, though, where we need to be aware of, of influencers, of people who are constantly trying to get us off of the page of following Jesus. Because here's in essence what Paul cares about. Paul does not want them to be conformed to the Corinthian culture. Paul wants them to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And that really is a good definition of what a Christian is. Here's what a Christian is. A Christian is somebody whose life is being renewed and remade into the image of Jesus Christ. From one degree of glory to another, we are to grow up in Christ. We are to not be the same person 30 years after we've been a Christian. We are to reflect him more and more as we live our Christian life. And so this is why Paul, in in the passage we studied last week and in the passage this week, Paul is actually very okay with saying, listen, you guys have your worldly influencers, but here's what you need. You need a godly influence. You need people who actually model to you what it looks like to center your life around the message of the cross. And so, so here's my question for, for us this morning. If, if it is our goal as believers, as Christians, in a Christian sermon, our, our main audience is always believers first. If, if it, for, for most people in this room, if, if we are Christians and it is our goal to be conformed to the image of the world, but we also happen to live, into, live in a world and society that is really good with media and social media and all these things to influence us, How do we be on guard? How do we continue to make sure that we are not being made into the culture's image, but made into the image of Christ? Well, here I think is a great summary of this point and maybe maybe an answer to this question. I think we'll have it on the screen for you. But here's what I believe Paul's main point in these verses is, that to imitate Christ, we need godly leaders whose lives are worthy of imitation. That maybe the way in which we fight against going along with the world's values is to have solid, godly influencers and following their example as they follow Christ. Friends, I said it earlier a moment ago, but this this book right here is really the only solid foundation and base that we have to go off of, of what is true. We believe that this book is sufficient for all things that pertain to life and godliness. Yet this book also instructs us that that we need more than just truth in our brains. See, the Lord created us to be physical beings, and so he knows that, that sometimes we need not just words, but we need tangible. The gospel comes to us in message form, but it also comes to us in the sacrament. In baptism, in the Lord's table. We can read all about what it looks like to be a Christian and we can get this information, but sometimes we need a tangible example. We need someone to, to show us what does that look like to actually orient my life around the gospel as it connects to marriage or finances or work relationships. And so to imitate Christ, we need godly leaders whose lives are worthy of imitation. And so as we consider 
maybe the contrast between worldly influencers, and I'm using this word maybe somewhat pejoratively, as in, you know, there's this whole new category of people who call themselves influencers on social media. Um, I'm recognizing the average age in the room, but I, I digress. And as we compare maybe what godly influencers are like, I think this passage helps us in three ways of how should we respond to the godly influences in our life. And that's what I would like for us to consider in these few verses is the three traits of a godly influence. And, and before we jump into our points, there's, there's two reasons why I think these points are helpful. One, it gives us some discernment of the type of leaders we should follow. I think these three traits of godly influencers give us a, a perspective of these are the kind of people I should be following. But secondly, it also gives us a clue to the kind of influencers we should be. So it gives us something to aim for and it gives us something to follow. And the first, in verses 14 and 15, we see that godly influencers have affectionate care. Have affectionate care. Now, I, I've noticed this before, and, I, and I've said this in a sermon before, but in the world, we, we, we kind of run up against this idea of cancel culture, where it seems like worldly influencers really only care about their base and their following and getting more likes and getting more followers. And if they get a lot of following, they get sponsors, and they get money. And there's a sense of which the second you go against one of these influencers, you are to be discarded and to, be, um, to, to get rid of. But compare Paul's heart of being a godly influencer. Let's read again in verse 14. He says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now again, Paul here is directly referring back to the rich irony that he used in verses 8 through 13. You know, remember he says, oh, you Corinthians, you're so strong, but we're weak. You know, I think he's a little afraid that it's going to come across that he's just trying to, to, to rail them, to belittle them, to humiliate them. Paul, Paul here wants to make his intentions very clear that there is an affectionate, tender care that he has for them. It's the type of care that a father has for his children. And so even though, I don't know if you've noticed, the, 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 the kind of tone of the entire book of Corinthians, it is very corrective. There is not a lot of room for praise. I mean, we had it in the very first sermon of this series, in the first nine verses. That's about the extent of the praise. And he didn't really even give them the praise. He gave God the praise. The whole rest of the letter is Paul kind of correcting and challenging them. And, and there's something here where, where Paul says, I'm not writing these things to make you ashamed. Again, I think in, in worldly influence, shame is the enemy. And there is a sense in which there is bad forms of shame. We're not trying to make people feel bad, to humiliate them, to dominate them. But it's very interesting, later in 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians, you actually see Paul say, I say this for your shame. That shame, in some context, does have an appropriate role. He wants them to know that how they are acting, how they are behaving, is inappropriate. That if you are willfully disobeying the word of God, I hope you do feel some shame. But with that, though, it's not simply for the merit to make himself feel better and to make them feel bad. He writes hard things. Why? Because he loves them. Because he is like a father to them. If you notice in verse 14, 
excuse me, verse 15, he says, you have countless guides in Christ. That's the ESV translation. Now, it's very interesting, those two words, first word, countless, it's where, like, maybe the word we would have is zillion. Literally, in the Greek, it's 10,000. So he's saying, you guys have a zillion teachers, right? He's being very sarcastic here. And in this word for for tutor or for guides or for guardian, whatever your translation has, it's where we get the word pedagogy. And so in the ancient world, typically a slave would be assigned the educational duties for some master and his kids. And, and he would kind of walk around with a stick and it was his job to make sure that they were just getting the content, getting the instructor, but they were known for ruling with an iron fist. But here's the thing, back then, the slave who was in charge of instructing and educating, he did not care about anything other than his job to make sure he passes on the information. What he, Paul is probably referring to is these ringleaders, these people in their homes who are causing these divisions, causing this tear in the church. And, he, and he's saying, listen, these people, they don't actually care about you. These tutors, these, these people who are your guardians, they're, they're just like the worldly influencers. They're just trying to use you excuse me, they're trying to get a solid base, they're trying to make teams. But a father, he actually cares about his children. You see, even the best teachers, and I know some good teachers, even the best teachers look at their own children a little differently, right? Hopefully. Even the best teachers, there's going to be some level of disconnect. But a father doesn't just care that his kids get a good education. He cares about their emotional and their spiritual and their physical well-being. But what Paul is teaching us here is that a godly influencer cares about the person. He has this affection for them, right? The best way I can maybe illustrate it is um, a couple months ago I was on a, f- a longer flight and I went to the back of the plane to stretch my legs and I sparked up a conversation with some of the stewardess and just asked them what it was like to be in this industry. And, and I think we, I brought up, have you worked for any other airlines before? And she said, oh yes, and she named a big one. I was like, what was that like? She's like, oh, it was really bad. We're just a number to them. They don't really care about us. It just felt very business oriented and corporate and they just make decisions based on money but the flight we were on was Alaska Airlines. And she said, oh, but here it's like a family. They care about us. They know us. And I think we all know that sense, right? No one wants just to feel like they're a number. They're just a, a, a pawn to be used to make something bigger for themselves. We all know that the true leadership, feeling loved by someone, is, is that you know me, you care about me, you have this affection And so consider the Apostle Paul for a moment. If you're someone who's read through the New Testament and you've read through some of his letters, think about some of the language that Paul uses when he writes these letters to these churches. Consider 1 Thessalonians 2.11. To the the Thessalonian believers, he says this, For you know how like a father with his children we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. Like a father. You know, verses earlier he says this, But we were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own selves. 
Paul, in this passage and in 1 Timothy, calls Timothy his true child in the faith, his beloved child. Do you see that? that tender affection and care? How about this? Consider the, the book of Philippians. For God is my witness how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Jesus Christ. You're like, well, you're just picking out the easy ones, you know. The first Thessalonians and the Philippians, they didn't have any problems. Okay, well, let's think about Galatians. Galatians is probably the most harsh tone that Paul had in any epistle, right? Have you read it before? He says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He says, I am astonished by you all how quickly you are deserting to another gospel, not that there is another gospel. I mean, Paul comes out of the gates. You guys are up a wall. But maybe the greatest pastoral verse ever is right here in Galatians 4, a verse I frequently think of. My little children, for whom I am again the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. That's the heart of a pastor. That he has this intense agony and pain to see Christ being formed in his people. This, do, you, do you see the affection, my dear children, that godly influencers have? It's not just names on a page. It's not just patrons. And so where other worldly influencers see people as pawns and opportunities for legacy, godly influencers love people because of who they are. Whatever they bring to the table, with their weaknesses and their strengths. And I think that there's an important point here, and we'll get to this a little bit in my next point, but, but real discipleship cannot be divorced from real people. To have this type of tender-hearted care and concern if, if, if you want to have influence, a godly influence in, in your marriage and in your, with your kids and with your grandkids and with people in your work, and if you want to have people you can look to, it, it requires this type of intense affection. And I just have to ask the question, when, when you consider the, the people in this room, when you consider the people who you live with or you're around, do, do you have the same intense affection that Paul had, that, that he just wants others to be conformed into the image of Christ? That's what a godly influencer does. I, I love you so much that I just, I'm so desperate to see Christ work in your life that you become more like him. So how do we learn to cultivate this type of tender-hearted, compassionate care for one another? And at the risk of sounding like a broken record, you know, we, we, we implore to you the things that we have said frequently, that if you're a member of this church, take the directory and pray through the names. Be here, be present. Come to the core classes, come early, stay afterwards. That if you are maybe conversationally challenged, take someone who's wise, ask an elder, ask for help. Learn to give and to receive hospitality. I can't tell you how important that spiritual discipline is. And so ultimately, a, a godly influencer is someone who has tender care. 
They, they don't just try to make a platform for themselves. They, they want people to know Christ. And I hope that's something that we aim to follow people who are like that and we seek to emulate that in our own lives. Tender care. But more than this, second we learn that, that godly influencers have a Christ-like example. They have a Christ-like example. Let's read in verses 16 and 17. So obviously you could tell why Paul is using this affectionate language. He's kind of leading up to the main imperative, the main command in the passage, verse 16. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Now, I hinted it already, but let's remember for a moment some of the context that, that we've seen so far in the book. Again, Paul here is trying to get these believers to onboard in their life to take their cues from Jesus and not the world. And that's why he so desperately wants them to become like him. Because Paul is an example of what it looks like to follow Jesus. He has a Christ-like example. But Paul is trying to be like his master. But the Corinthians are trying to be like the world. And so this is why he can say, be like me. Imitate me. If you need an example of what this looks like, if you need a godly influence, look, how, look at my life. Look how I order things. Now, some people don't really like some of this language that Paul has used. Doesn't it seem a little intrusive to, to be so bold? I mean, how many of you can get up here right now, if I made room for you on the stage, and tell the rest of your church, hey, imitate me? Any takers? And some people don't even like the language that Paul has of father. Right? Some of you good Bible study, uh, students know that in Matthew 23, Jesus says, Call no man father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. And so we have Paul saying two things here that people kind of scratch their heads at. Well, Jesus says, don't call anyone father. And we're not called to imitate Paul. We're called to be in the image of Christ. So what gives here? Well, briefly... As Christians, we are called to follow Christ, and that's why Paul will later elaborate in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, follow me as I follow Christ. We follow godly influencers in so much and in so far as they are being faithful to following Jesus. No one does this perfectly, but, but Jesus also, in Matthew 23, if you look at the context of what he's talking about, he's saying, don't use these terms like the Pharisees do. He's talking to his disciples, and he's saying they use these terms more pejoratively. But Jesus is not necessarily saying that we can't ever have the terms father and teacher. And so it's very appropriate for Paul to say, hey, listen, all of these people who are trying to divide you and trying to get you on their side— they don't have as much sway. They don't have as much authority. They don't have as much affectionate care as I do because I led you to the Lord. And because of all those things, and because I live my life like a Christian should, you need to be an imitator of me. So I think in these two verses, there are two important lessons we learn about discipleship. And the first is this, that... You can have as much information as you want. You can have as much doctrine and theology. You can go on an island and we can give you all the best theological textbooks. But the reality is, is we're still going to be a little stunted because 
We need real-life flesh and blood examples of what it looks like. See, the reason why Paul says I have to imitate me, they, they probably so far reading this letter, they probably have agreed with Paul on everything that he said. Isn't it interesting sometimes that we can know so much about the Lord but live so contrary to what we know? How often is it that we, we can intellectually ascend to the idea of a truth in Scripture but so badly and poorly functionally live it out in our lives? You know, I could tell you right now how to make a paper airplane, and I can just give you the verbal instructions, and maybe some of you might get it, but some of you might be better helped by, fold it right here. Now fold it right here. Now make this fold. I'm not good at paper airplanes, by the way, so don't follow my advice there. But you can have all the classroom instruction you want, but sometimes you need the field trip, right? Jesus would do this with his disciples. He would talk about the nature of the kingdom. He would reveal who he is. And the next thing you know, they're on a field trip. And the, the disciples, of course, they're failing. This is why Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. So here's a good summary of Christian ministry. You ready for it? Teach sound doctrine. Live out sound doctrine. It's a both. This is why you'll see a godly influence in your life. He doesn't just tell you the right things or she doesn't just tell you the things that you should believe, but they can also model it for you. This is why when the New Testament in 1 Timothy and in the book of Titus gives qualifications for elders and for deacons, did you notice that most of the qualifications for leaders in the church actually have more to do about character than competence? Let's, let's read a few of them here, okay? This is from 1 Timothy. And, and just notice how much about character and actual things they're supposed to do. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well. He must not be a recent convert. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders? Now, no example is perfect, like we said, but there's a sense in which the, 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 the leaders are called to be above reproach. It's not perfection, but above reproach. And so the job of an elder or a deacon is more or less, if someone walks into our church and they have no concept of what it means to be a Christian, they don't know anything about what a Christian believes, what a church should be able to do is to say, hey, see that guy over there? I know he looks kind of weird, the guy with the beard. He's one of our elders. And if you spend time with him, he can tell you what it means to be a Christian. He can tell you the truth. He can tell you sound doctrine. And if you watch his life, you'll see what it looks like. More or less. That's what a godly influencer does. They have a Christ-like example. And so with that said, the second implication should kind of just build right off of this one discipleship is very, very difficult from a distance. Right? You see this random verse that Paul throws in, verse 17, that is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved child and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ. And listen, as I teach them everywhere in every church. See, Paul realizes it's pretty hard to disciple someone through a letter. I don't know if you know this, but they didn't have Zoom or Skype or FaceTime 
And so Paul knows, hey, listen, Timothy, he's a good example of someone who's going to teach what I teach and he's going to live how I live. Timothy is going to be the stopgap before Paul gets there and he, and he confronts them. But Timothy, he, he is the flesh and blood example. He's going to be the person who can represent Paul of showing them what it looks like to live a cross-centered life. And so you see the value of having a real, tangible example and godly influence in your life? A man or a woman who shows you what it looks like to honor Christ in your marriage? Of how Christians think about issues of stewardship with time and money and responsibilities? To have a godly example of how to resolve relational conflict? You watch them as they go through the drive-thru and how they interact with people. When they get frustrated, what does it look like? You know, one of the things I'm so most grateful for, when I was in high school, I had a youth pastor who would just pick me up and we would, he would call me, hey, I have to go buy Christmas gifts before the days of Amazon. We had to like drive to the mall, crazy. And I have to do a few errands down in, in Bakersfield, the biggest city near me. I'm not from Bakersfield. And I'm like, um, yeah, I got nothing going on. And I just spent eight hours with him, just seeing his life, hear him sing to the radio, watching him how he talks to people and lives his life, and, and even the example he is giving me by this is what Christian ministry is about. Do you see how, Aaron, I went on my way to get you? You do likewise. You're setting a Christ-like example. And so we have to understand that disembodied community does not satisfy our soul's longing. This is why we should be slightly concerned about the move towards online church. We have been given flesh and blood, real life, tangible examples. And so a few applications to kids here. Kids, you are influenced all the time by people, by your friends, people on social media, teachers. Let me just try to give you some encouragement. I think the people that the Lord wants you to be most influenced by is your parents. See, why would you want to believe your friend who hasn't taken care of you, who hasn't fed you, who didn't change your diapers, who doesn't pay for your bills, over the loving care and concern that your parents have shown you? I think the Lord is honored by obeying your parents and caring about the influence they have in your life. And, and for the rest of us, too, with the advent of the Internet, we can find any teacher to teach anything that we want. It is, it is not hard to find someone to, to, to hear what they're teaching, to fit with what I want them to teach. But, but here's the danger of, of just chasing all these online teachers and pastors, is you don't actually get to see them with their kids in church. You don't see how they interact with their wives. You don't see what kind of person they are. One of the benefits of actually being here is you see Carl, you see Aaron, you see Chris, you see the elders. And this is why we think it's important to actually be part of a church. And, and if you, you hear us talk, we'll say things like meaningful membership. Meaningful membership. And so if you want to be an influence, if you want to be a godly influencer, you have a Christ-like example. You, you imitate Christ, who didn't just stay in heaven, but what did he do? 
Oh, he came all the way down. He came in the incarnation, and he lived and he modeled what true humanity looks like. Not the restraints, not putting off the restraints of God's law, but fulfilling it. Lastly, godly influencers warn those whom they love. Verse 18, some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you soon if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? Now again, Paul is contrasting what he brought up earlier in verse 14, that these tutors, these guardians, these teachers would often have a rod for discipline, a small skinny stick. And Paul here, in essence, kind of saying, hey, listen, Timothy's coming, but just be clear. Some of you, you think that I'm not coming back. You know, it's kind of like the, the, the prideful thing of when you and your siblings are getting into trouble, and one of them says, mom's going to kill us if she sees us. Mom's not going to be home for three hours, so we can do it anyways, right? Now, that's, in essence, what I think is happening here in Corinth. People are saying, like, I don't think Paul, the Apostle Paul's going to like this. I don't, like what, I don't think he's going to like seeing all this. And they, oh, Paul's not going to come back. He's forgotten about us. He's planted the church. He's moved on. He doesn't care. And Paul, in essence, is saying, hey, listen, when I come back, I, here's my expectation. You can choose. Do you want the discipline? Do you want the, do you want the stick or do you want the apple? Because when I come, if, if, if you guys are not getting past these petty rivalries and divisions, I will not be afraid to use discipline. Now, if there's something that rubs up maybe the most with modern-day kind of influencers, I, I think it's this point. In many ways, we are influenced to get rid of anyone who would tell us that we can't do something. But friends, listen, discipline is necessary in discipleship. I think we all know of us parents that to not discipline your children is the unloving thing to do. Paul says, uh, when I come back, I want to come back and, 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 and love you guys and come with gentleness. But, but if you don't change, I'm going to have to be forced to practice discipline. Now, in many ways, Paul is setting up what he's going to be talking about next week, where he actually calls for excommunication of someone who's living or sleeping with their um, late father's wife. But Paul gives an incredible, meaningful verse here. If you notice, he says, for verse 20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Not consistent in talk, but in power. Do me a favor, look at chapter 2, again, in verse 4. Earlier when he was speaking about his own ministry, he says this, My speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and power. And so Paul says this, when I come back, I'm not going to try to have this full force of show and have these lengthy debates and have, you know, who's going to be the best speaker. And in fact, Paul does make it. In 2 Corinthians 10, he gives a speech, and apparently they all thought it was pretty unimpressive. Paul says, listen, I'm not here to sit there and to try to see who's the better speaker because here's what the kingdom is. The kingdom is not, the gospel is not just a few theological buzzwords. It's not just concepts. The, the gospel is an announcement, but it's an announcement that changes us. 
It's the power that it can reconcile sinners to a holy God. It's the power that I used to live for myself and my own glory and my own idols, but now it's changed me. And, and, and so Paul, in essence, what he's saying here, hey, I'm warning you guys. If you keep living this life of, of just trying to make the, the, the gospel and the kingdom all about who has the best rhetoric, I'll have no other option but to bring in discipline. And so he's trying to influence them. Listen, even in our own lives, we, we can give great sermons, we can give great messages, we can read all the great books. But the power of the gospel is not seen necessarily in how much you know. It's seen in your love for the Lord and following him and practicing repentance and growing in a love for, for God's people and for your neighbor. And so here's the thing. How, how good are we at responding to the warnings that friends give us? How good are you responding to spiritual authority saying, brother, sister, we're concerned about you. Because we love you, because we have this affectionate care, we're, we're urging you, we're pleading with you to change course. And so, so here, here really is Paul's thing. He's like, first, listen, I'm going to try to love you and affectionately care for you to get you to change. If that doesn't work, I'm going to really urge you and appeal that you just follow us in our example. And if that doesn't work, we will be forced in a very loving way to discipline you. And friends, it is not unloving to discipline people. It is, in fact, the most loving thing you can do to tell someone who is warring against God and their sin to be reconciled to him. In conclusion, I want to ask you personally, is your life worthy of imitation? As Americans, we have a love-hate relationship with imitation. We know that Shasta Cola is not the same thing as Coca-Cola. But yet we also say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Men here in this church, what kind of model, what kind of life do you demonstrate to your wife, to your children, to your grandchildren? Are you that type of gentle, humble, forgiving, God-glorifying man in which people just naturally just want to follow your course of life. How about women in the church? Are you, are you that type of example where younger women want to look to you and say, man, when I'm older, I want to be like Carolyn. I, I want to be that godly woman who prays and who loves and who, who's invested in people's lives, who's that, that motherly love for her children and her grandchildren. But for students, are you the kid in your school in which people say, man, that, that kid, he, he cares. He tries. He remembers my name. I think we all know a good godly influence when we see it. And I think what this passage is calling us to is, is to recognize that we can be all talk but no show. To use the, the language of Texans, right? Um, big hat, no cattle. And so here at Hope Community Church, 
This is what we, we desire to see of every member, that we follow godly leadership and that we emulate it. That we don't just want a few select people who give a godly example. We want a culture of discipleship in which all of us recognize that, man, my greatest concern for the people around you, might not even know your name, is that you would be formed in Christ. And may my words and the character and conduct of my life, and if it has to be even my warning and my discipline, I want to be an influence in your life. And by God's grace, may we all aim for this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to study your word. And God, I, I pray that if there's any conviction about the, the imitation that we give, God, first help us to know and to rest that we are not called to be exactly like any one person, but we are called to imitate Christ, called to follow him that we are called to be made more and more day by day from one degree of glory to another to be formed into the image of Jesus Christ. But Lord, I do thank you for godly men and women who give us a picture of that. Thank you for, in this congregation, those godly men, those fathers who demonstrate love and sacrifice. Thank you for those godly women who, who are examples for the rest of the, the congregation. And so, Lord, help us to be a people where, God, we, we, we understand what Paul is saying, that, that the kingdom is not just, it's not just about talk. Help us to avoid the sin of being mere God talkers. Lord, help us to let the gospel penetrate our lives that we may see its power. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray for faith. We pray for your grace. We pray that you continue to lead all of us individually and corporately to being a church that gives you all the glory in Christ, all the praise. We pray this in his wonderful name. Amen.